Hello and welcome to Maiden Mother Matriarch with me, Louise Perry. My guest today is Lane Scott, a Catholic homeschooling mother of five and also a writer. Her substack is Matriarch Goals. She also writes for a number of other outlets, including The American Mind. We started by talking about a recent piece she wrote for The American Mind called The Mother's Gauntlet, uh, which I loved, which was about the challenges of uh, rebelling against the mainstream as a conservative, which many conservatives are now in the perverse situation of having to be the rebellious ones and the nonconformist ones because the mainstream is so anti-conservative in many ways. In the extended part of the episode, we also spoke about uh, tradwives on social media and the uh, the image of the tradwife, and uh, practical tips on how to set about homeschooling and uh, living a more rural way of life. And um, yeah, the 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 practicalities of actually rebelling for real. That extended version of the episode can be found at louiseperry.substack.com, where you can also find uh, the bonus episodes I do fortnightly with my husband, the MMM chat community, and the whole back catalogue of past episodes. Enjoy. Many of you will know that Christianity is a subject of fascination for me, and the role of Christianity in shaping the modern world is a theme I return to again and again on the podcast. My view is that we can't really understand ourselves or understand the world around us without getting to grips with it, which is why I'm very glad to put you towards a new online course called 321. It's an introduction to Christianity that's imaginative, thoughtful, engaging. It assumes absolutely no prior knowledge. It's presented by the wonderful Glenn Scrivener, who has been a guest on the MMM podcast previously, and I've also been a guest on his show. Glenn presents eight video-led sessions which are based around some beautiful animated stories that illustrate the Christian message. You can check it out for free at 321course.com forward slash MMM. Just enter your email, choose a password and you're in. There's no spam, there's no fees. Just visit 321course.com forward slash MMM. So, Lane, I really wanted to get you on the podcast because I read this gorgeous essay that you wrote for the American Mind called The Mother's Gauntlet. I was looking for like a quote to read out to sort of introduce readers to it, but I, I couldn't really find one that did it justice because it really it really just work, it works as a full essay. And I would really, really urge everyone listening to go read it because it's it's like a very main mother yes, yes. piece of writing. OK, it's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you want to start by maybe summarising, not not just summarising your argument, but also, I guess, summarising your family life and your professional life and how you've got to this, yes. how you've got to this place? Um, okay, I, um, I grew up in a small town in the rural part of California. So I'm within driving distance of San Francisco and Lake Tahoe and Yosemite, but I'm in a rural area. So um, I grew up, on uh, my parents had land. And uh, my mom taught at the public high school and I, and we were, my father was an atheist and we were just sort of ordinary people went to Congregationalist Church, which is mostly political and kind of not, more, kind of like Rotary, Rotary Club or something like that. Um, and then my dad found an ad for Thomas Aquinas College in, uh, in National Review Magazine and thought that the, the liberal arts would be a good thing to send his kid to. So I went to the summer program and, and uh, Thomas Aquinas College is in Southern California near uh, Ventura, near the beach. And um, I went to their summer program and it was just, I had never been exposed to anything like that before. Just uh, the Socratic method of discussion, um, the great books and the way that they do things there. 
<clears throat> but I wasn't Catholic. And so that part kind of creeped me out, but I decided to go there because I loved the, I thought, you know, this is, this is what I want to do. So I went there and uh, sophomore year, I converted after what you do there is you kind of read the whole Bible freshman year. And um, I just, and I think my conversion wasn't, it wasn't really intellectual. My intellect supported it. Like I couldn't find, I already believed in God. So my, so the problem wasn't, wasn't believing in revelation or anything. It was just kind of seeing the way the Bible is laid out, the covenants, different things and thinking like what I do. Actually, my dad, my atheist dad was like, isn't what you do Catholic light anyway? Like, why are you worried about this? Like, just don't worry about that. Just go to school. And, uh, and I found that to be kind of true. So it was a difficult thing to, you know, I protested the first year of class and brought a children's Bible to theology and, you know, just stupid stuff like that. And then eventually I thought like, well, I have to, I have to stop having this tantrum and, you know, be a serious person. So I converted there. And then, um, I, I met my husband at Thomas Aquinas college. He's a, uh, he went to a different, an engineering school for engineering first. And then, so he was older, but behind me, uh, by a year. And then I graduated and I thought we were still dating. And I thought like, well, I, I don't, I was kind of still scared of Catholic life and having a lot of kids and wasn't in any hurry to, <laughs> to start. And so I thought, well, I, I really like school. So I'm going to continue to go to school. So I went to Claremont graduate school in their political program, um, which is, which is, it was, and, and, and in some ways still continues to be really good, especially if you're, uh, if you're mildly conservative. And so, um, my husband did a year later, you know, we proposed and we got married. And then, um, after I was done with coursework, um, I set it up so that I, I, I just pushed everything. so I finished all my coursework before I could, before we were married, because I was worried about, you know, I thought like, well, obviously I'm immediately going to get pregnant. Actually it took me a year to get pregnant with my first. And so by that time, I think I was doing qualifying exams or something. Most of it was done by the time I had my son, which I mentioned in the article that, you know, and I, I started seeing how different and difficult um, daily life as a mom was going to be compared to um, compared to school, compared to where you go and they give you gold stars and they say you're doing a good job. And there's a lot of people there and there's always something there's always some goal to meet and, you know. And so the, the article sort of takes place in that, in that time period in my mind, just because I start, I, uh, I was talking to some girlfriends about why, um, why staying at home is not more desirable, why people choose not to do it. And I, I actually don't think that it's mostly economic. I think people say that, or they, what they, what they mean when they say that is that they can't imagine themselves doing that unless they had a lot of money to make life really comfortable. But in fact, most of the stay-at-home moms I know are not wealthy. Um, in a rural area, most of most of the men are in the trades, um, and and they're they're comfortable, but they're not wealthy. And so it, it seemed to me that just given you know my mom worked full time her whole life, given that experience, it seemed to me that it was worth looking at what what actually is going on when people decide kind of how they want to and women in particular, how they want to uh, do their life. And I had put a lot of time and energy and money into my degree. And I loved, I loved working. I loved school. And um, my husband and I, when we were dating, would talk about, you know, well, maybe we'll both work part-time or maybe we'll both work 30, 35 hours. That was kind of always our goal is like, if we can both work, maybe there would be enough overlap. Um, but in general, even with all that and the most helpful husband, I mean, my husband cooks, 
He's very, very, he's probably better with discipline. He's very, he wants children. He's very excited. You know, he has, he doesn't have anything in his life that he's as interested in as his children. Um, even with that, it's, it's the mom. I mean, it, you're, you're going to be home with them most of the time. And, and if you're not wealthy, um, just economics wise, you're, you're going to, to favor the worker who doesn't have to take big breaks, who can just, it, it, for us. And I, I think for many people, you go into it thinking, well, we'll both work part-time and we have, I mean, I've worked most of my, most of my marriage. I just don't make anywhere near the amount of money per hour he does because he, because, well, first of all, men are just able to compartmentalize and focus, especially if the, if the mom is able to kind of just take everything off their plate, which you're able to do if you stay home, then he almost has an unfair, I mean, this is what feminists say, an unfair advantage of the workplace because he doesn't have to go to the DMV and he doesn't have to go to doctor's appointments. He's completely focused on that. It can make a lot of sense. It's publicly, you know, public policy wise, people don't like that. They want the man to do more because they want men in the workplace to be um, to be on equal footing with women in the workplace. But if you have a stay-at-home mom, you can make you, that family unit. If you think of it in terms of of the family earning money, which I think you have to if you're going to be a stay-at-home mom, I would recommend that. If you think of it in terms of the family making money, you sit yourself down and you say, how can we make the most money in the littlest time possible? And it, it, most of our lives, it, it's ended up something like, well, you can make way more per hour and you don't have to nurse and be pregnant and have an infant. And so the, the economics of it are pretty clear. So we, um, but, but all of this was kind of nebulous and I just didn't understand how it was going to work when I was a young grad student and I had my first baby when I was 25. And so, um, we, we didn't want to live in the city. We're not, neither of us are city people. Um, my husband's from a kind of like a horse ranch in Arizona. He's kind of a cowboy. Um, and so we, we, we moved up to where I'm from. That's where we are now, Northern California. And, um, and that was difficult because I took myself out of my, um, kind of out of the world, you know, like now all of a sudden, not only am I apart from people because I have this kid, but also we felt pretty strongly that if we were going to have boys and it turned out a lot of boys, I have four boys we needed a lot of space and I wanted them to grow up like I did. So we have a lot of land and we have farm animals and the whole deal. And that is wonderful for them. But for me, it's very isolating. If I never had had children, I would be in the city. I would be working in politics or government. I would have a million, you know, single and rich and interesting friends, I, you know, <laughs> and what, and so this is one of the trade-offs that, that um, once you start thinking like, well, this is what I want for me. And when you're in your 20s or just starting your life, it really is kind of your identity is still you and, and a family is kind of something you've decided to do. And as time goes on, and I would say the more children you have, the more your identity kind of bonds to your vocation. But that's a painful process. It doesn't feel good when that happens. It's a death of some sort. It's it's losing what you thought you're, you were and stepping into an unknown. And, um, and when I was doing that, I was also just not great at being a mom because my, my mother is, is extremely efficient. Like she made a lot of food from scratch and she, she kept a house sort of, but she worked full time. And, and that's a different, 
model than the stay at home mom. My, my mom depended on my dad for, you know, if you ask her like, how do you potty train? She'd be like, I didn't know your father did all that. You know, she doesn't. So I didn't have the kind of model that some of my friends that who grew up Catholic in big families did. And so I, parenting turns out to be mostly, mostly second nature. So no matter what book you read or what, what you look into to think like, gosh, I'm going to do it better than my parents did. I, I'd like to change. You can change a few things. Like I'm Catholic and my parents were not. My husband is very religious and my dad was not. You can change things, but it's going to be uh, an unknown for you. And you are hobbling yourself in the sense that you're not able to just fall back on your second nature and just do kind of whatever you, you just without thinking by instinct. So th that combination of things, um, I sort of was thinking back to what that was like when I was a young woman, because I think a lot of women who are thinking about having large families are just prioritizing family are converts or, or, or have at the very least have switched and would like to do something different than their parents did. And so the essay is sort of looking at that and also the disconnect between the, the political right, the online right, uh, trad life, all, all of that, that's, spoken about and advocated online and what it is in reality and what the difficulties women in particular face when looking at that um, at that huge task and 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 thinking about especially someone who didn't grow up with that how few tools you have and how little confidence you have and so that yeah that's sort of that's sort of the background so it all worked out <laughs> Spoiler alert, it all worked out. I'm really happy I did it all. But I, and unfortunately, like, I had several friends be like, why didn't you, it's so sad, the essay, like, why didn't you put any solutions? And I, and I said, well, I think it's important to state the problem. Like, it's important to, to give voice to, to what, to reality, to what, to what stops people from doing this. Because on paper, like I say in the article, it seems awesome to have, you know, middle class, upper middle class woman, have your husband pay all your bills and you don't have to work and you just, what could be easier? It's it's terrifying. It's very difficult because it's different in kind than most of the things that we do growing up, especially middle class, um, different than anything I did. I didn't have the tools necessary and I didn't have the outlook that that would have made it uh, would have made me more courageous in approaching it. And so that, yeah, that's that's kind of where the article came from. It is neither demonizing the trad wife lifestyle, if we're going to call it that but nor is it glamorizing it and it's so rare actually to read someone doing neither of those things which is like yeah which is the more is the truer that that's that's the truth right that's where it yes. actually sits yes if you're living it um for real and I think you know the trad like so much of that online is um it's just what people do like when you decide like okay we're going to move to the country you know you get on a million real estate websites and you follow a million people who do country life and you you immerse yourself in in an idea which is not bad that's not bad because because most of what what people don't realize is that is that what keeps people from doing things like that is not an intellectual problem it's not things a list of things you need to check off and figure out it's your will you have to because it's terrifying to do something that you don't know how to do and so all of those online trad accounts, even the man, even the, you know, the far right men, a lot of that is, is seeking to whet the appetite to get people to do something that, that, you know, in a similar way, when my husband and I decided, okay, we're going to move back home. 
I looked at land in the, you know, Sonoma and like these beautiful places in California because it was, it was, it was all more a dream. And, and at some point my husband was like, we're just going to live near one of our families. You just need to pick, like, it's either my family in Arizona or your family. We're not going to move two hours from your family just to say that we didn't move back home or make it more exotic than it is. So, so real life, the, and the and the other reason that it's difficult to have a real life perspective is because it's so individualized. So so one I've had I, there it's been ten or fifteen years that everyone I've worked with has told me, oh, you should write about you know you should write about what people should do or how people should live. It's very difficult to write about that because you you what you end up doing is so individualized. It's based on you and and the job you want to have and the job your husband wants to have. It's based on the personalities of your children. It's based on the culture that you were grown up. So it so there people get into these um, kind of narrow definitions of things because they think, well, I'm going to be a trad wife or I'm going to be a rural you know, I'm going to do all this stuff, and that means I have to have a dairy cow. Obviously, you know that means I have to have. I have to wear woolen clothes that are hundred percent, you know, it's all, and, and they, because their experience is not there, they don't know which of these trappings are essential to the life and which of these are just trappings. And so you, it, it can be kind of a double-edged sword. Like it, it's good in that it makes you want it, but it's bad in that it, it unnecessarily limits the possibilities in your imagination. And there can be people, influencers or different things online. You think, gosh, I like so much of this, but I really don't like that part. I really don't like the, you know, this part of trap. Well, you don't have, most likely you don't have to do that, but people don't know until they do it. Um, so, so yes, the, the article was intentionally not, I mean, all of that stuff, the mommy wars and the bashing stuff is unnecessary. It's, it's, it comes out of a lack of confidence, which we all have. You know, if once you once you get to the point where you're confident in what you're doing, you can allow others to be confident in what they're doing. Like it's not a threat to you, right? Because you you you're happy and you figured your life out. And you're so this is one of the nice things about about um, being older. You know, there aren't you know it's it there you kind of relax and what other people do that's different than what you're doing is is interesting to you and it's it you're happy about it because. You don't want to just hear about yourself all the time. When you're in your 20s and 30s or just starting out, that lack of confidence and that lack of courage causes you to be threatened by people who do things that aren't exactly what you're doing or who are different. Um, that doesn't last forever. But unfortunately, most of the writing and most of the money you can make in, in writing about sort, those sorts of things, most of the market forces kind of stick there. And there, that's that's one of the reasons why you know so much of the writing is is kind of caustic. It's not. It's 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 by design. It's also by market influence. You know. I've once heard someone say, and I thought this was such a great point. He was talking about his own wife, and he said, you know, my wife feels as if she didn't really get to choose um, whatever setup she has. You know, whether she's stay at home, part time, full time, whatever. She feels like she was forced into it by circumstances of various kinds but she is, seems to assume that all of the other mums have chosen their whatever lifestyle they have and like probably probably they feel just as restricted as everyone yes. else or she's comparing right. herself and, to men and sometimes that or she's comparing herself to men right so it is, yeah I mean, biologically right. it, it is yeah. a choice for men that's a reality uh, women something coming from your body this is, this is a good, this is, it makes it easier for women in some ways. It's a gift 
But when you're starting out again, you're low on skills, the curve to competence, you know, it takes a long time to get competent and feel good at it. But you cannot choose whether most in most cases, you do not choose whether or not you're going to to feel primarily responsible for that baby. It came from your body. Men, the best dads, my husband, they they feel responsible for that baby. But it's a choice. It's a rational choice. And women, it's not. It's not. It is. It is. You are forced along. And, and once you're pregnant, that's going to happen. And like, like, there's not there's not like, do I still want to do? I mean, obviously, women can choose to, to terminate. But but biology pushes us along in a way that it doesn't for men, you know, and, and, and the work, the workforce is, it, it's predominantly a, a male space because I think because by default, because biology is that way. And so when comparing myself to my husband, yeah, he had, it seems like he has more choices, but I think, I think he would say, well, to be a good man, I, I needed to choose that. Right. But we don't choose like to be a good woman. It's we're, I think there are a lot of moms who, who don't make that choice at like out of virtue or like, what's the best, you know, it's just like your friend, it it just, it's just kind of forced upon us. It it happens. And then, and then you, you, um, you deal with the consequences, I think. Yeah. And there's always, there's, there's almost always some degree of space to maneuver. I had, um, Erica Commissar on the podcast recently. She's a, um, She's a child psychologist, and one of the things she's best known for is um, writing about the harm that daycare does to children. And it's a st- quite a stressful experience <laughs> listening to Erica if you are a work- working mother, even part time, because what she says is like, it's basically daycare just as bad, you know, even small amounts of it. There, you know, children do um, suffer stress from it and so on. And she says that really the only thing she can recommend is for, is for, yes, it is financially difficult. And this is something that you write about. And yes, there are, there is less support available to the stay at home mom, et cetera, than there once was. But basically, you know, like be honest with yourself. Can you make it work? Can you find a more flexible job? Can you move somewhere cheaper? Can you have fewer holidays? Or even just, can you try to make it work? You're not, you don't know yeah. if it's going yeah. to work. Can you try and see? Um, I yes. don't, I mean, I don't, yes. Exactly. Yes. And the answer in many cases is probably yes. Like if we can be completely realistic, I think most people probably could, most mums probably could find a way of not, certainly not having to do the like full-time city job or whatever, right? And yet, and yet so many moms don't want to. And this is a question that you ask, and I think it's a really important question to ask, you know, given the pressure on, on women from conservative, in conservative spaces to do the trad wife thing, why, why don't women want to? Are there good reasons why women wouldn't want to, even if they could potentially afford it? And I think there the are very good. Is there yes. are very good. <laughs> there are some And increasingly reasons. more and yeah. more. I mean, so there, okay. So in the, in the article, there are two things that, that are sort of, sort of stepping out into the unknown for most women. One is being a stay-at-home mom. And that's what you're talking about. Just taking care of your young children as opposed to hiring it out so that you can, so that you can work or just so that you you don't have to have the majority of the childcare burden on you. Um, And then the other one is whether you should send them to school. And in America, these two things are very, tend to be sort of connected because the school system doesn't matter what school that you're talking about, even private schools in most places, the schools are so much worse than they were when we grew up. 
that increasingly um, people look into kind of having one spouse not work in order to do, in order to provide many things that, that society used to provide for parents. Um, the situation is so bad that people, I think, I think if I'm honest, I think most, most middle-class, upper middle-class people look at the schools and say, I, I can't think about it too much. And that's what everyone's doing is just trying not to think about it too much, especially post-COVID because it's so bad. Everybody knows that it's bad. My mom taught in a public high school for 40 years. It was starting to get really bad by the time she got retired, maybe 2010, 2011. My sister's a teacher, several educators in my family. It's really bad. And it's, and it, it's gotten to the point where it's uh, accelerating in, in its decline. So for a long time, it just sort of sank. Now it's a snowball. And so um, those two things are connected. And, um, and there are very, very good reasons for, for really well-meaning normal people to, to be um, apprehensive about taking that on. In some ways, in some ways you can't take it on. It's impossible, right? Like that's one of the things that my husband and I have to remind ourselves of all the time. He went to uh, um, the biggest high school in Phoenix, Arizona, and played, um, well, in California, we call it Division One. I. I think it's switched there. So the largest division, sports division, he played football, wrestled, really good athlete, did all this stuff. I, my, the math, I had just this tiny little small town public high school and our math and science department was good. So good that I out, that I, I was ahead of a lot of private school kids when I went to my private college. Um, so we had a really good education. Even then it was, there were cracks, but we had really good education. We cannot provide that for our children. We just can't do it. So there's no, it doesn't exist anymore. So, so a lot of, um, a lot so some of what i didn't touch on this in the article but some of what people are grappling with is just the loss of their expectation the, the the inability to give your kids even what you had and once you downward social yeah, mobility yeah and once you well maybe yeah. that's the thing it, it is downward social mobility mm. maybe but it that doesn't take into account how much bs there is in the, you know like that in some ways um yes i can't give my children what i had however the education that I'm giving them in many ways is superior, especially this, this, this straight up studying, but the trap, but the academics and the community and the, everything that school was other than academics, I can't, I, it's very difficult to replace. We do our best, but I don't blame people for being um, intimidated and, and just, and just not wanting to look at that reality. It's, it's really depressing and if you can get, if you could just put, you know, you think like, well, I live in a slightly better area than my parents. Yeah, it'll be fine. These schools are good. That's what people say. The schools are really good. The schools are good. And it's a, um, all of the parents are sort of like engaged in this, in this, um, in this hallucination or this mutual, you know, oh, they're good. If we just, if we just don't think about it, you know, they're good. And, and some schools are okay in some ways, but it's not, um, you know, the great inflation and the testing, it's just all, it's not, they don't have what we had. And, and we certainly don't have what my mother had at Berkeley Public High School in the 60s, where she had uh, a million different instruments. And I mean, the level of education there, public school for my mom, or the boomer generation is is amazing. We don't have anything like that. It's, it's the world, that world is gone. So, so it's a mixture of courage and also the ability to, to allow yourself to realize and sit with really depressing 
truths. And, and that's just, that's before you get into the nuts and bolts of just what you're talking about, how to make it work, um, how, how the logistics of it, how to pay for it, how to do all those things. Um, one of the things that I think about all the time in terms of uh, the conservative movement in, in America is that um, it doesn't require conservative temperaments anymore. It requires rebellious temperaments. It requires people who are not going, who are comfortable being founders and pioneers and are not, not have some, I mean, my husband and I are both this way. We kind of have a sick delight in not doing what our parents did or what people expect us to do. We enjoy being counter cultural and have, and, and when you do things like raise your kids on land in the middle of nowhere, or, I mean, we're not in the middle of nowhere, but we're, it's rural. I mean, and, um, and you homeschool or you stay home with them, you're, you're not doing what people expect. And you are constantly, your peers or your former peers are constantly um, goading you and, and, and teasing you or just trying to figure out why you're doing that. When, when people step out of the norm, other people, it's natural that other people would say like, you know, how's that going? Or another example, all of well, many of my conservative friends leave California because they don't think California is, is sufficiently conservative. My husband and I refuse to do that. I don't, you know, we get a lot of feedback. <laughs> There's a lot of negative things if you're a conservative and you stay in California. Like it's just so, so we're not a conservative movement anymore. We're not conservating everything, anything, because everything's gone. It's all gone. So we're, we're refound, we're rebellious. We, we're not, um, our movement is not, what we do is not based on valuing the past <laughs> or giving honor to <laughs> to what came before really, unless you leap back, you know, to some idea, which yeah, yeah. Certainly no, not and the that's another past. problem with trad yeah. life is they don't have any experience of what they're saying they want to be. It's all a projection because no one remembers no one. That's all, that's all generations past. So it's, it's made up. It's kind of like a, it's a, it's a, it's a worshipfulness of something that none of us has any idea. So it's, it's, it's absurd in some ways, but, but the, the situation as a parent that that's, I mean, that's what you'll run up against unless you're just really lucky and you have a, an amazing school, amazing community, but there aren't many, you know, <laughs> the ones that are, the ones that do exist are so expensive. I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. I think one of the answers, right, that you offer, and I agree with you as to why, why actually in a lot of cases, despite all the mum guilt, despite all the expense, et cetera, it can be easier to choose the conformist option to choose work and daycare and living in the city. And, you know, um, despite all the stress, it can be the more attractive option because it's the normal option because people aren't going to rag on you as you describe. It doesn't require a leap of faith. It doesn't just, it doesn't have the same risks, you know, whatever. Um, that doesn't mean that the other option isn't available. It's just that the other option. The other is scary. option is scary. I honestly, so I'm very. My mom, you know, I said I moved back home. My mom was five minutes away. She worked her whole life. She had four kids, so she was not super, you know. But I, my mom would say that I chose the better and easier path, and I would. I don't have any experience with her, but I, I think that that's actually correct. It actually is easier to do it to, to go, to follow your instinct 
and I, I don't want to say that it's best in every situation to stay home or to not put your, that isn't, that simply isn't the case. There are some situations where you have a good school or where you have enough family around to help you there. You know, I've worked most of my marriage part-time most of the time, but I have worked full-time uh, starting the, when the pandemic started, my husband was um, vice president of a furniture manufacturing company and they made furniture for hotels and conference centers and large gatherings and that immediately died <laughs> so um i think he was employed if you know and then we thought well we, we have to jump ship like this is not going to recover for i don't think it has recovered still maybe just now they're starting to recover but we knew you know the writing was on the wall there so at the same time i um an old friend reached out uh and asked me if i wanted to work as an editor for american greatness and so I worked full time for three years, you know, when the pandemic started, I recently resigned um, due to some just artistic differences and I wanted to write more on my own. But um, I don't ever want to say that something is definitely right for, you know, because it's all the realm of prudence. It, it has to do with what you have to work with and who you are. But I think that the, that that um, you're right, that daycare is, I would say that that's that's not as good as obviously as being with your mom, being with your parents, being with someone who loves you, not being a face in the crowd, not being a number, you know, it, it's, so how do we, how do we reconcile these things? Again, I think courage is the main thing. I think if most people could just suspend giving into fear and try it, they would find it's, it's not as scary as it seems. And also um, they would find that this, the kind of person you have to be to raise your own children and then especially to educate your own children. I think that most people will find that that is a, is a, cre a creativity and an individuality that is necessary. It doesn't seem like that because it just, the, you know, you don't do these things for the world. You do it primarily for your family. Although as my kids get older, we, we do, we've been community building the whole time. There are many families that have moved here because we, we were here. We've built up a whole uh, community, a whole, our parish is full of young families. So there is some outward facing, but for the most part, it's hidden because it's for your own family and people don't see the creativity involved, but it's, it's much, it's much more fulfilling just in an artistic creative way, because you really are because of the opposite of what you just said, you're not following some current. You're not just doing what everyone else does without thinking. You have to think about a lot of elements of your life which is fatiguing, but it makes you, I think, a more interesting person in some ways, because you've decided, well, I'm going to do this and not this, or we tried this and it didn't work. So I'm going to do this. Your, your mind is engaged in your life. You're intentionally painting a picture that is your, and it's usually the woman is figuring out how all this works. And I think I have, I have hobbies and things that I've gotten good at that I, I don't think had I worked full time and done the regular thing, I don't think I would have had time for, I don't think I would have been able to kind of had the freedom, especially as my kids were getting older, you get into things that you can do around the house or, you know, like gardening or different things that um, you wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done. I wouldn't have figured out, I think. And uh, so there are, there are things that are unseen that you don't realize before getting into it. You see the downsides are, I think are obvious. The differences with what you know are obvious. The goods are, are hidden. Which is the case, which is just the case for many things, right? I mean, that's that that's sort of a theme <laughs> in life, certainly in religion. Like the goods are hidden, so it it just um, 
it's it's very understandable that women do not choose to stay home and raise their own children. And I have and several of my siblings, several of my friends put their kids in daycare and regular school. They deal with there are problems there. They deal with the problems just like I deal with the problems that come up with homeschooling. I mean, there are downsides. I like my downsides better than their downsides, but there are downsides, you know, like there <laughs> I like yeah. my downsides better is that is I think yeah that's 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 the thing to aspire so. to isn't know. it um yeah <laughs> just thinking about the um like what feels possible right for people if you 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 because there's been for so many people in not just in America everywhere there's been this kind of fire break between the older way of doing things you said you know no one knows what the past is like like yes I mean we don't right there's these no unless you sort of make a concerted effort to study it and even then you're obviously learning through a book and everyone everyone thinks they would have been aristocracy Um, had we lived in the (laughs) no one's no one's looking back to being the scholar right yeah times you know I was just talking to a friend about this this morning. We were talking about like uh, like mm-hmm. Victorian intellectual mm-hmm. ladies and whatever, and she was like, "Come on, babe, we'd have both been chambermaids." <laughs> You'd be yeah, running from the master that's true. of the house and um, dealing with his advances, and oh, it would be a mess. Yeah, right, right, yeah, mm-hmm. like like yeah, the yeah, the odds are not great. Um, but so like, no one has this like visceral understanding of the traditional ways of doing things, if unless you come from some kind of cultural tradition that has been preserved there aren't that many of those so for most people there's some kind of fire break you kind of have to learn it from scratch or learn it from like literally learn it from yeah. youtube yeah. <laughs> right like which is actually an amazing resource it for is like absolutely like crafting yeah. skills all of yeah all of these all these women's skills that that haven't necessarily been passed down directly um and just thinking about the the like trad trad wife social media trad wife social media gets a lot of hate i was thinking of oh, can you remember the name of the lady who was yes. Mrs. america hannah, hannah needleman it's on ballerina farm hannah needleman. Hannah, yeah we- hannah needleman. <laughs> my female right my editor there was like a- and i have constant conversation she's so fascinating but yes yeah Mm-hmm. <laughs> she is yeah right well there was a and there was a hit yeah. piece against, uh, against her in yes. Vice did you mm-hmm. read recently and it was all set up as like taking down ballerina farm lady and I read it and it was like thousands of thousands of words it was really long and I got to the end and I was like where's the big revelation so the big revelation in this hit piece is that her husband actually earns oh yeah they're filthy rich well the, so, <laughs> but anyone who understands right. anyone who knows anything about <laughs> stoves could see that August stove in her house and be like there's money here right like <laughs> right right know. so she has a very the expensive oven it's like the main of sort of yes like they they bought that and they have you know so right yes and also also it's, it's evident from her minimalist lifestyle people with money can afford minimalism people without money keep everything because they might need it so when you see those kind of spare interiors that's money <laughs> that's money that's not that's not right simplicity. right yes but then <laughs> but then i also thought reading it i was like well, yeah, social media is full of lies. I mean, I was expecting like she has an army of nannies behind no, the screen or something. Does. Like yeah, that's I not. I don't think it. true. I yeah. think she does. She mm-hmm. she does it all. She's got these. She's got seven kids, close age gaps, home births, like the whole crunchy setup, and she must work really hard despite yeah. her husband. I think money. he works hard too. And I have. I mean, I have rich friends. I'm that sure go he does, the and land. they do. They do literally yeah, have yeah, a farm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Working. 
Yeah, and their lifestyle must be, even if they have loads of money, their lifestyle must be a hell of a lot cheaper than it would be if they yes. lived in Manhattan, which is that other yes. like, possible route mm-hmm. they had available to them, right? Because they live in Utah. Uh, I right? think that's right. They are, and, and, and in Somewhere general, like the Mormons, that. Yeah. Mormon, and the Mormons are not fakers when it comes to a lot of this stuff because their religion, uh, I believe, dictates or requires that they have stores of food and stuff. So they, so all of that kind of... Um, preservation and and the cooking that's all very much part of the culture they're not faking that Uh, so i i think um that's all that's all wrapped up in there yeah so she obviously attracts a lot of she attracts a lot of hate for basically posting nice pictures of the, the bread she makes with her kids and like fine it's a bit fake like I think if what a surprise. Honestly, I think if she were a little dumpy physically, people wouldn't hate her as much. She's so (laughs) this is America. That's beautiful. Well, she's she's a ballerina and she has one of those bodies, like one out of a million that just retains that tiny frame no matter what is she on, like her eighth or nine. So so, she snaps back every time she has a baby and yeah. Right. Right, right, right. But then I sort of think, look, she's making, she's making a particular lifestyle glamorous in a way that it was not glamorous, I would say, in pre- you know, maybe a couple of decades ago. I don't think that there were, that these trad influences are a new phenomenon. And I think, you know, yes, her life in some senses is unattainable, but her life is a lot more attainable than like Kim Kardashian's life. Or just life, any, yes. Like yes, actually right. the, yeah, like rural lots mm-hmm. of kids' life is, is, is looks like more yes. women's lives. I mean, most. <laughs> than what you would normally see on Instagram. Most of the movies growing up, um, in, when I was growing up in the 90s, featured women, girl boss women with amazing corporate jobs, real high up. And that's also unattainable for most people. Statistically, it's very unlikely that you're going to dedicate yourself your entire life to a job that is in any way glamorous, in any way. <laughs> you're just going to, you're going to do some drudge. Most people do really boring jobs that a million other people could instantly replace them. It's very rare for any worker to be irreplaceable and have the type of job that really like no one but you can do. And and usually in, in media there, you know, it's an artistic, there'll, there'll be a, a magazine editor or they'll be, you know, whatever. We have millions of examples of, of art that shows the ideal of that. And, and uh, ballerina farm is, is art. It, it, she's an artist. It's art. It's not, people shouldn't think it's not reality TV was never real, but she's, it's, it's an art form of showing um, a very beautiful stylized version of that life. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's what art does. It makes you, it makes again. It turns the will to think to make you desire something that's not immediately um, familiar to you. Um, but right, and I think that's what she's doing. That is 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 good. Is that she is offering an alternative right. dream? Yes, I think all of these to I the girl boss dream. It's not, I mean, I guess it could be good or bad if they're encouraging people to um, to to just destroy their lives and and ruin all of their relationships. But most of these things are neither good nor bad. They just are. They're art. There's there's something that you know they're they're someone giving their perspective on a, a, usually on Instagram on a, a type of way of living or a type of living, and and I think people are silly to get caught up in it like it's um, 
like it's prescriptive or like it's something that you have to be, they get confused because it, it engages their desire and their will. And so they think there's, um, they think the artist is, is creating that mandatory, like you must be this way. And it's, it doesn't need to be, I mean, again, like she can be what she is and we can appreciate the beauty of what she's creating without having it say things to us necessarily about what we're doing in our life. Um, I don't know. I have friends who don't aren't on social media at all because they find it. I think this is a personality thing. Some people are not encouraged by um, other women and their beautiful lives on Instagram. I think the fakeness, but they can't separate themselves out of it to where I guess I have a couple of friends who think everyone who posts anything on social media is bragging is saying like, look at me, I'm doing this. And there certainly is some of that. But that I think that attitude misses the artistry of it. It's natural for an artist to like, that's what our, it's like, look at this. That's what they're saying. Look at this, look at this, look at this. And, and I think, um, I think there's value just in what these people are contributing. It, it is a modern art form and it's, it's obviously not reality. Um, and I think I would never, clo- I, I, I follow the most unbelievable <laughs> social media is amazing because you can follow interior designers. You can, you can follow that girl in Manhattan with the perfect job. You can follow the farmer, you know, it, it's, it's amazing the amount of content we're able to see of, of again, idealized, but these different forms of life. I think in some ways that I guess that contributes to the to the difficulty young women face because they have all these examples. And they I guess when you're younger and you're inexperienced, you can think like, well, I have to do one of these. Most of us will just do something kind of drab and boring <laughs> and not, not as ex- not as exotic. But I I. I think it's, I think her art is beautiful. I think her, her animal life is beautiful. You know, I, my sister has a milk cow named Daffodil, just like I make fun of her all the time. She didn't name it, but I was like, Oh, Daffodil, like, like ballerina farm. She's like, I didn't name it. She came with that name. I make fun of her all the time. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to make a full throat of defense of ballerina farm, which is that it is so rare to see motherhood represented as being that high status it is so rare and even if so much of the status that she that she's that she that she attracts is due to her beauty and being Mrs America and all that right and, and apparently having a rich husband although you know to be fair to them they don't the, the rich the rich husband yes. is a secret that, normally the rich husband on Instagram right. is mm-hmm. the is the main thing no, she, I mean, <laughs> right she, like, whereas right, here it's she's actually, running that show I mean he does a lot of stuff with the animals and stuff but she is very much um I mean, you just can't have, I know from experience, although I don't have as much land or animals as she does, but I, you can't run that kind of a deal without both, both spouses doing it. I mean, it's not possible unless you hire a lot of help. Right. So I think, yeah, which I mean, maybe they, yeah, but to your point, it's not put out there as look how rich we are. You know, it's, that's not the brag. Yeah. Yeah. No, the brag is I've had loads of kids. I love my kids. I've devoted my life to, to domesticity. And that is so rare to see that being boasted about. And this is a point, of course, that you make in your mother's gauntlet piece, which is that for all of the efforts of, you like, you will fairly often hear conservative men uh, praising the stay-at-home mother. What you more rarely hear is, like, real status conferred conferred on the stay-at-home mother and the real... Um, recognition of how difficult it is and not just difficult in the drudgery way difficult in the well as you say the self-governance way the fact that you it's all on you 
and there is so much responsibility and like and it really is the hardest job in the world and you you just that doesn't that doesn't attract the status that I it right it, it and, and any normal person particularly if you're a woman who's ambitious I always had a lot of ambition I always I always wanted to strive and and do whatever is the hardest most honorable thing like I wanted to do that right um which can get you into trouble but <laughs> because when no one's applauding you're like why where's what is my motivation but um I will say this is something I've been thinking about I should write on probably but my experience, and this might just be where I'm from, but my experience is that there's almost nothing as low status as the young mom with one, two, especially when you really get going, you have like three kids, people will crucify you in this grocery store, whatever, they will just make your life a living hell. They love, it's like hens, it's like it's hen pecking. It's usually older women and they just say whatever they can to make you feel horrible. That could just be an America thing, a culture thing. We have some different things going on with the generations here, possibly. But what I've noticed is that, and this hits on your 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 podcast and my Substack um, name of you know matriarch. When you get a little bit older and it's clear your kids are not a disaster, that really changes. The episode is not over. There is another maybe thirty minutes of content, but it is behind a paywall. If you would like access to that content, if you would like to show support for the show, pay subscriptions are what keep it on the road. Allow me to pay my producers, put food on the table, all that important stuff. The extended version of the podcast is available at my Substack, louiseperry.substack.com. That's where you can also find, as I say every week, bonus episodes, extended episodes, uh, the MMM chat community, all of this. Um, please sign up for a pay subscription. It makes such an enormous difference to my ability to keep producing the podcast and grow it even bigger, produce more episodes, all that good stuff. There are other ways that you can show your support for the show as well. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can like us on YouTube. You can tell your friends and family uh, how much you like the show. If you find it valuable, all of these things make an enormous difference to our ability to keep making it. Thank you so much. <laughs>